Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us on a glorious day to be above the mud. This show presented by Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. Who's got your back? Dr. Wagner has your back. A lot we're going to cover on today's show, and I encourage you, the viewer and listener, to look at the screen right now. There you will see the headlines that we will cover. I'm going to run through the headlines for those that are streaming the show and not watching the show, those that are strictly listening. The corner killer is, is now arrested. This is an extremely sad story. We let you know on the show yesterday, after speaking with our contacts, our friends, the people we often speak to within the police department, that an arrest was going to be made within the next 48 hours, if not sooner. I said that yesterday. An arrest was made the afternoon following yesterday's program, hours after yesterday's show. The corner killer, a 21-year-old, LaCorey Brooks, if you want to get um, some lower thirds on screen when we go to a two-shot, you don't have to do it now, Judah. This young man has made what is going to be the biggest mistake of his life. He's 21 took the life of a 26-year-old, happened on the UVA corner. The alleged killer is a child. You look at the alleged killer's social media postings over the last 10 years, and you see a troubled young man who at 21 has been posting about drugs and guns and violence and... and, and portraying women in a sexual light for literally a decade plus since he was 11 and 12. Look at the timestamps on his social media platforms. The corner killer, this alleged killer that took the life of a 26-year-old on Ellywood Avenue, a murder that had President Jim Ryan issuing a statement in the wee hours of a weekend morning, a statement that included a call to action for University of Virginia Police Chief Tim Longo and COO J.J. Uh, Davis, a statement from Jim Ryan that said UVA would work quickly to resolve this murder in conjunction with Charlottesville and Almaro County and other um, enforcement departments. This story is extremely sad, extremely sad. I feel for the deceased family. I empathize for, for the alleged murderer's family and friends, in particular his daughter. And I ask the question, I ask this question, what leads a 21-year-old to believe or to act in a way that, that a beef over a female, allegedly the, um, the victim grabbed the behind of the uh, alleged killer's girlfriend. This was over a girl. We're at a point in 2023 where 21-year-olds think pulling out a gun and killing somebody is the answer to, to, to solving um, a, a, a butt grab situation. We're at a point in 2023 where a young man who was raised in Charlottesville and grew up in Charlottesville over the last 10 years, 11 years of his life in very visible fashion 
has been posting on social media guns, drugs, violence, and objectifying women. This has been happening for over a decade. We have much greater issues. The gun violence in this town is a problem. But 21-year-olds for a decade posting about gun violence in public forums and then utilizing a gun to resolve an issue that included someone grabbing his girlfriend's butt? God just can't figure that out. Joe Plantania can't figure that out. Jim Hingley can't figure that out. Mm -hmm. I think we are severely underestimating the impact that quarantining for two years has done on youth. Keeping children, high-risk children, on the edge of crime, on the edge of jail, away from teachers and role models and their peers for a couple of years is having an impact that I don't think we truly understand. On today's program, I'll give you the details of LaCorey Brooks, his arrest. I'll give you a statement released by Joe Plantania, the Commonwealth Attorney of Charlottesville City. He offers essentially an analysis or a grade on the Charlottesville Police Department in his statement, Joe Plantania does. And I'm going to ask you, the viewer and listener, this question. Do quick arrests made by the Charlottesville Police Department impact criminal behavior? Do quick arrests give criminals pause or make them think twice before committing a crime? Because right now, the Charlottesville Police Department has very swiftly solved murder after murder after murder after murder, arresting people, finding criminals, finding people, and putting them behind bars. I'll talk about on that on today's show. I'll show you photos of the alleged corner killer. And we'll just try to get to the bottom of something that is potentially a much greater problem. I want to talk today's show, the message from Woodard Properties. Woodard Properties is passing on to the community in a non-threatening way that they can take the Kim's Market parcel on Cherry Avenue, the home to the IGA grocery store at one time, and they can take this piece of land and they can, if they want to, they can go buy right. And if they go buy right, they don't need the community's input, planning, uh, planning commission's approval, city council's approval. They need no political capital. If they go by right, you got 47 luxury residential units on Cherry Avenue. You got commercial space that's market rate commercial. You have no affordable commercial space, no affordable housing, no space for nonprofits, and no grocery stores. So the city of Charlottesville is kind of a, in a rock and a hard place here. You got one of the most prolific local developers and Woodard Properties, a company that's well-capitalized, has vision, resources, and deep pockets, saying if we don't get a little bit of leeway and a little bit of give from Charlottesville, 
we could just go 47 luxury residential units in commercial space at top dollar. And we'll do it by the letter of the law without your approval, community, without your approval elected, and without your approval appointed officials. And we're going to put it in a neighborhood that's historically African-American in a position within that neighborhood that's the gateway or the entry to the neighborhood. So imagine going into Tonsler, into Cherry Avenue. Imagine going from the downtown mall past the park and seeing 47 luxury residential units and commercial office space and retail space at top dollar in the gateway or the entry to an African-American neighborhood. Alternatively, if the city of Charlottesville elected and appointed officials choose to get a little creative and open-minded and a little bit of flexible with, with, with the affordable housing requirements and some of, some of the zoning requirements, Woodard Properties is straight up saying, we'll be flexible too with how we build this project. We'll consider potentially a grocery store. They've already highlighted that a grocery store in this location is going to be difficult. Food Lion is less than a mile away. And many grocery stores don't want to open in close proximity to big competitors like Food Lion. So you probably are looking at a small store. It's a 3,500 square foot space they're projecting they would build out for a grocery store. A 3,500 square foot grocery store is a boutique grocery store. It ain't Wegmans. How many square feet was Wegmans? I think you found it on Charlottesville. Wasn't it over 100,000 square feet, Fifth Street Station? Can you get me that data point, J-Dubs? Yeah. If memory serves correctly, you found it was over 100,000 square feet for Wegmans down Fifth Street. A boutique grocery store? Let me ask you this question. Let's say it's a 3,500 square foot grocery store. When you have a grocery store of that size, you essentially have a boutique grocery store with boutique grocery store prices. Would the neighborhood be able to afford these rates anyway? We're not talking food line rates, giant rates, Kroger rates. Boutique grocery stores, 50 to 75% higher in price because they don't have the economies of scale and the resources and the vertically integrated business models that a Kroger or a Wegmans does. Let me know when you have that number. I'll give you some insight into what the city should do, and then I'll ask you, the viewer and listener, to offer some perspective as well. Warrior AG, thank you for retweeting the show. I'll get to your comments, Albert Graves, here in a matter of moments. I also want to talk on today's program Ace Biscuit and Barbecue, it's been saved. I have some intimate knowledge into what's going on with this. Choose my words carefully here. I have some intimate knowledge with what's going on here with Ace Biscuit and Barbecue. I've been told by some of the players involved to relay certain things and not all things. The beloved barbecue joint is going to reopen again later this week. Brian Ashworth and his team tried for an extended period of time to find a buyer. They work with friend of the program who I work alongside and do some business with, Stu Rifkin, to sell the joint. The spot didn't sell. The spot didn't sell for a number of reasons. Some people can say asking price. 
Others will say the financing climate in 2023, it's extremely difficult to get a loan to buy a business right now. This banking crisis, this Signature Bank, this First Republic Bank, the Silicon Valley Bank, the collateral damage of all this, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be much tighter loan and financing environments for individuals, for families, and for small businesses. Regional banks, I can assure you, are going to tighten up requirements for loaning money and put money on, on the street. And these businesses that are coming up for sale, I represent a lot of them. We talk about them on this show. One of the major hurdles to buying a business is financing and getting the capital to purchase it. And these regional banks will make access to that capital even more difficult now that we've had these bank runs over the last two weeks. Mark that down. You heard it here first. So I'm going to ask you this question. Ace Biscuit and Barbecue. It's going to reopen later this week. <laughs> Something different's got to be done, right? You can't just run Ace Biscuit and Barbecue in the same manner that Brian and his team were running it and expect different results, right? What's the definition of insanity? It's almost turned into a, a, a cliche right now. You got that, Judah, on a two-shot? Uh, just a second. Here we go. Doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting, expecting a, a different, different result. result? That's the definition of insanity. Whoever takes over Ace Biscuit and Barbecue, and I'll let them relay that to you when the time is right, or they'll say, Jerry, you can get the word out to the community now. Maybe that time comes at the end of this week when the grand reopening uh, is before us. But what does ACE need to do differently to produce different results? Brian Ashworth is a badass. He created a business from scratch. He built a business around ridiculously delicious barbecue served in a friendly setting in an approachable setting. But over the course of a decade, market conditions changed. The labor market changed. It became tighter, less robust, and more expensive. Cost of goods became volatile and unpredictable. Inflation takes a toll on the small business, as does the lending environment where access to capital is becoming more difficult than ever. Lines of credit is what I'm talking about. Consumer. The American is pitching pennies a little more now, much more so than when Brian opened. So what should ACE do differently to expect different results moving forward? Because if you're doing the same thing, over and over again, and you're expecting a different result, you're a crazy man. You're an absolutely crazy man. I want to talk about, on today's program, Jason Williford reportedly turning down an, an opportunity to be the head coach at American University. Jason Williford is the assistant basketball coach for Tony Bennett at UVA. Tony's right-hand guy, his capo. Jason Williford on a short list for Temple University according to multiple media outlets. Jason Williford is Virginia basketball. What's the future for Jason Williford and is Charlottesville, Virginia in it? I'll answer that question for you 
on the I Love Seville show. And of course, I will read your, your comments and your perspective live on air. So put them on in the comments section, and then I will mention it as you help shape the conversation and the discussion today. Carol Thorpe, hello. Kevin Higgins today, hello. Kevin Yancey, hello. Um, Albert Graves, hello. Vanessa Parkhill, hello. TV station and a newspaper watching us on this program. Let's go to that two shot. And let's welcome Judah B. Wickhauer, J-Dubs, Judah Benjamin Wickhauer, a man who needs little introduction. The corner killer is arrested. Yeah. A beef over a female. After bars close, the victim grabs the alleged killer's girlfriend's butt. That turns into bullets, gunfire, a wounded man who dies shortly thereafter, and a 21-year-old who is going to spend much of his life behind bars. A 21-year-old who grew up in the area, has a young daughter. I mean, this is a kid. He's, He's a kid. This guy's a kid who killed somebody. He's a kid. Yeah. Where do you want to begin? Do you want to begin with the photos? Because one of the things that I'm seeing happening is people are attacking the alleged corner killer. Why don't we try to, and, and it's tough to say this, we're going to try to humanize someone who allegedly killed somebody. Yeah. But this photo with the family, I think, humanizes him. You put that on screen? It's on screen. Look at the screen. Look at the screen. This is from LaCorey Brooks, a 21-year-old who grew up in Charlottesville's Facebook page. We didn't cut off the photo. This is how the photo shows up on Facebook. We did not chop off anybody's heads when cropping this pic. That's his family. Yeah. That's his family. Mm -hmm. That's his daughter. That's his baby's mama. This guy's in jail, and he's going to be there for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. This little girl is going to have much of her childhood without her father. Also on his Facebook page, show the other photo. This was the second profile picture from his Facebook page. Is that on screen? Yeah. Look at the screen. Look at the screen. This is from 2018 here, this picture. And I don't want anyone to take anything I say out of context. I'm not judging anything from pictures. I'm not making any assumptions on pictures. I'm not looking at any tattoos and making assumptions. I'm doing none of that. I don't want Charlottesville Twitter, the 50 people that get up in arms on Twitter in Charlottesville, to get in a brouhaha after what we're talking about here. But here's the reality, and you jump in. I scroll through... This man's, this kid's Facebook page, LaCorey Brooks's Facebook page. Yeah, I scrolled through now, too. For the last 10 years, that means when he's 11. Yeah. For the last decade, this young man has been posting guns, drugs, and objectifying women on social media. 11 year old posting that on social media. Guns, drugs, and objectifying women on social media. This is an extremely sad story. Before I get to Joe Plantania, Judah Wickhauer, anywhere you want to go. It is a sad story. Uh, I mean, 
I, the questions I have are, you know, who failed LaCore Brooks? Um, you know, it's, it's easy to point the finger and that's not what, uh, what I'm here to do. Uh, but, uh, from father figures to schools, to friends, to social media and media itself, uh, This young man has been failed. Has been completely failed. People, the people around him have failed him. Yeah. And, uh, and it's sad that, uh, that it's come to this and that uh, one man is dead and uh, this young man will be going to prison, as you said, for probably a long time. Joe Plantania issues a statement. He's the Commonwealth's attorney in Charlottesville. A lot of people say the top cop is Mike Cotches, the police chief. The top cop in Charlottesville is Joe Plantania, the Commonwealth's attorney. He's the top cop. He decides what kind of extent he's going to pursue for years behind bars. He's the top cop. Plantania says this yesterday, and I'm going to read it verbatim. And Plantania's come on this network. Verbatim, I'm reading this. Quote, while tragedy continues to visit our community, I'd like to note the tireless work of the CPD in bringing the last five homicide cases to closure by arrest. Charged individuals are presumed innocent, but please recognize the almost unprecedented level of thorough and professional police work that is going on under the leadership of Chief Cotches and his team, end quote. I want to highlight one word from that statement. You know the word I'm going to highlight? Yep. Unprecedented. Mm. Please recognize the almost unprecedented level of thorough and professional police work that is going on under the leadership of Chief Cotches and his team. That's Joe Plantania saying this. Yeah. That's shade to Brackney. Using the word unprecedented is shade to Brackney. Yeah. And when Plantania posted this on his Facebook page, friend of the program, Michael Wells, of the Police Benevolent Society, remember, he got in the brouhaha with Chief Brackney, and Wells was supporting officers who said they didn't feel supported by their police chief. Yeah. Wells leaves in the comment section of this statement from Plantania, and this Covent says a thousand words as well. This is what Michael Wells says, friend of the program. He says, I'm sure the hardworking detectives, officers, I'm sure the hardworking detectives and officers finally feel supported. Long time coming. In the last week, we've heard Sean Reeves, the Admiral County Police Chief, say on the record in a meeting that for the first time in five years, Albemarle County is working with Charlottesville and the University Police Department. Yeah. Admiral Chief showing, throwing shade at Brackney. Yesterday, Plantania, the top cop, the Commonwealth's attorney, uses the word unprecedented for the job that Cotchus and his staff has done. And then under that statement, Michael Wells releases a comment of his own where he says, 
the hardworking detectives, detectives and officers finally feel supported. A long time coming. Whether we want to admit this or not, and I'm going to throw this to you, this community is navigating, it's swimming, it's managing, it's trying to make its way through the collateral damage of a terrible Brackney tenure and term. It's trying to make its way through the collateral damage of, of quarantining at-risk youth and keeping them away from teachers and their peers for two years. Yeah. Essentially letting them run willy-nilly with no requirements to be in school. We do not realize the environment that we've created either knowingly or unknowingly for youth in this community. In Brackeny's term, the police department because of her, was not outreaching with at-risk youth and at-risk community members and at-risk neighborhoods. Cotchis has brought that back with the walk and talks, with mm -hmm. the forums, the fireside chats. In Brackney's term, and the tail end of it, we put high-risk youth for two years and said, you don't have to go to school and be around role models. If you want to learn, do it through your computer screen if you have one. If you have internet or you don't, you do it somewhere in your house, your ABCs, your one, two, threes in the bedroom, in the coat closet, at the kitchen table, but we're really not going to have any protocol to file up to see if you're actually doing the learning. And we're surprised we're in the predicament we're in now. Show is yours. Anywhere you want to go on that topic. Well, I think, uh, <clears throat> I think uh, LaCory has been, has been getting failed by the people around him for a lot longer than uh, um, I mean you know we, we talked about what was on his uh, you already said that page you already said that yeah. 10 years but uh, I'm not sure how much the uh, the pandemic affected him in that regard he would have been uh, probably at the tail end of of high school yeah he would have been uh, he would have been what junior senior in high school I mean, he basically lost a junior and senior year of high school, 2020 and 2021. I mean, he's, 20, he's 21 years now. We're in 2023. Yeah. He lost the tail end of his high school career. Yeah, possibly the last year. Arguably your most important. I don't know how much the effect that would have had on him in terms of running around with a gun. Um, Taking kids away from teachers and letting them do whatever they want is going to have an effect on high-risk youth. So to say that I don't know about him not being around teachers is not going to have an effect on him is just not reality. He was removed from an educational setting where he was around people that were not his family that were looking after him and had his best interest. That's going to have an impact on someone that's in high-risk youth. Okay. Someone that we've already highlighted for 10 years has been posting about drugs, guns, and violence. Taking someone that's high-risk away from an educational setting is going to impact them. I don't mean to cut you off here, but I think you're marginalizing the impact 
of being in school? No, I'm just, uh, I'm not sure how much, uh, I, I don't think he was taken out of school for that long in terms of uh, somebody who, I'm, all right, you're if getting you in the weeds about this. Because I... We I, know for a fact that he missed the end of his <laughs> high school career. Do we? Yeah. He, there was COVID. He I wasn't know. going to a... Pro, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that this young man was not enrolled at one of the private schools that had in-person learning in Central Virginia. Do you think it's safe to say LaCorey Brooks was not a junior and senior in high school at a private school during COVID? I'm not sure what private school has to do with it. But, private uh, schools learned in person with teachers teaching kids and guiding them and helping offer them perspective on how to be a young man going into an adult. Pandemic, he didn't have that. Yeah. All right, so go on. Let's. I'm just questioning the timeline and how long he would have actually been out of, out of school. Uh, just a question I have. Maria Marshall I, Barnes, Judah, coaches and teachers impact children. I agree. I, I'm sorry. I, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to stop your, uh, your momentum. I just have questions about how, how much the, uh, the pandemic. Okay, so this entire conversation, you choose to stop and offer perspective on a timeline of COVID as opposed to the topic in totality. I mean, that's what we were talking about. So, yeah, I have questions about that, but uh, it's not a big deal. Um, I, it, is, it is a shame, and I think uh, a lot of children have been affected by, by being taken out of school for... Uh, long amounts of time and uh, we probably won't know the effects the full effects of that on on our nation's kids or the world's children and that's the right answer right there that's the answer judah should have led with okay saying that still doesn't change the questions i have about his own his own time okay well anything else you want to add on that no okay so we have a young man for 10 years has been posting about guns, drugs, and violence on his Facebook page. You can go check it out. We have a young man who has a daughter. We have a young man who solved a beef over a guy grabbing his girlfriend's butt by killing the guy, allegedly. We have a young man who grew up in Charlottesville who in March of 2020 would have been 17 or 18. We have a young man who has left a lot of hurt for a lot of different families and groups of friends. We have a Commonwealth's attorney saying that the level of policing being done in this community is unprecedented. We have an Albemarle County police chief saying for the first time in years, these departments are working together. Leadership is telling folks in this community that the police department is turning and heading in the right direction. Plantania is an elected official. When he uses terms like unprecedented, it is strategic and intentional, his word choice. Attorneys are very selective with their words. Leslie says, Judah, not being around teachers and peers for two years is absolutely going to impact children 
who don't have role models. Thank you, Leslie Johnson, for that comment. I agree, but I don't think he was. I don't think he was taking Regardless, out of school for two dude, years. He spent two years when he was 17, 18, and 19 in a quarantine setting. That's the point. Okay. You're nitpicking. He would have been 18 at the beginning of... You're, you keep bringing it up again. The whole point is we don't understand the impact that quarantine has had on people. Okay. And high-risk individuals. All right. Everyone is agreeing here. Do quick arrests influence criminal behavior? That's a good question. I would tend to think, uh, I, would, I would ask the question how many of those people are, are following the, the news regularly. I don't know that this guy would have been uh, keeping up with, uh, with what's going on in terms of the Charlottesville Police Department. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't think that uh, I don't think that any of that information went into his thinking when he uh, pulled the gun. I would like to think quick arrests have an impact on criminal behavior, but I do not think they do. I do not think quick arrests arrests would have prevented what happened on Ellywood. I do not think these quick arrests that Joe Plantania is highlighting would have prevented. Um, Skeeter Smith's murder in Fifeville. The man who murdered Skeeter Smith was previously in jail and was a hardened criminal. He was not going to be swayed or influenced by Plantania or Cotchis or Reeves putting criminals in handcuffs. I think what the quick arrests do influence and create is it fosters confidence and a sense of safety within this community, and that has a value. Cotchis and Plantania and Reeves and these departments and Longo getting people arrested quickly is going to help breathe a sigh of relief at breakfast tables, dinner tables, at homes that do not have high-risk people living within them. The quick arrests create a sense of confidence and safety for folks not really committing crime. I don't think they're going to influence folks that have criminal intent. Albert Graves, during COVID, if a kid did not have a parent or parents involved while also not having a teacher involved, then those kids are very set back from a development standpoint. I read this live on air. Thank you, Albert Graves, for that perspective. So where do we go from here? In terms of what? The community. I think we need to support groups like uh, the Buck Squad. Uh, I think if they had been involved in, in this man's life uh, for the last few years, there may have been a different outcome. He clearly needs a, uh, a father figure and people to look up to who aren't glorifying uh, violence and, and uh, the kind of uh, um, the kind of actions that, uh, that he, you know. This is where we go from here. We clearly 
communicate to the community. There's a police officer walking the beat right on Market Street. We clearly communicate to the community, and Cochis has done this, that this kind of crime the community will have no tolerance for, and he will pursue to the fullest extent of the law. He's making that, has that message out wide and far. We clearly communicate to the community that University Police Department, along with the Almoral County Police Department, the Charlottesville Police Department, the FBI's in the mix in some of these cases, are all working in conjunction to stop this kind of crime or to solve this kind of crime immediately. We must manage the narrative and perception. And right now the narrative and perception is Wild West. That's got to be changed to Mayberry. For ever, years, Charlottesville was Mayberry. Now Charlottesville, you have folks linking it to guns and crimes and shootouts and Baltimore and Manhattan. And some of this stuff is stretch as we all know, but that's the chatter on the street. We gotta change the narrative. And how we change the narrative is showing the departments are working in conjunction with each other. We gotta be tough on crime. Maybe we ask our Commonwealth attorneys, Plantania and friend of the program, Jim Hingley, to be a little tougher on crime. Both Plantania and friend of the program, Jim Hingley, have run on a reform platform, a platform based on giving criminals opportunities to rehabilitate themselves outside of the prison system? Do we ask ourselves if this kind of criminal justice reform is materializing into stuff of merit for us? You talk to some police officers, and I do it quite often, quite often, handful of times a week. And the officers I talk to a handful of times a week have said, we got to be a little tougher on these guys. They're coming back out in short time after being arrested. And a couple of the officers have said to me that is demoralizing to us as a team and as an department because we work our tails off to put these guys in jail and then we see them shortly thereafter up to tomfoolery and shenanigans yet again. We gotta change the narrative. I think Plantania knows that. I think Hingley knows that. Reeves and Codgis and Longo know that too. Any other things you want to offer on this topic? Yeah, I still think that uh, uh, I still think that we need to get to these men and young men and boys before they reach this point. Changing the narrative is is great, but uh, I would rather see. But how? How are you going to do that? As I said, support more groups like the Buck Squad. Buck, Buck Squad is more for keeping violence from happening before violence is about to go down. If is, you're looking, isn't that isn't that much better than having to change the narrative after the fact? I, I think if you're looking to impact high risk 
youth, teenagers, and young adults before they become high risk, you may need to consider um, funding or, or better capitalizing or creating scholarship opportunities for preschool and early education programs. Those are decent ideas. Here's, here's a perfect example. Parents that are watching this show can relate to this. Our oldest son just turned five years old. He's been in a preschool program for two plus years. Our youngest son is four months old. He will be in a preschool program for three years before kindergarten. The only reason our oldest son is not in a preschool program for three years is because of the pandemic where we were a little hesitant at the start of COVID to put him in a preschool program right away. In hindsight, we, we regret that decision. Our youngest will have a full three-year run at a paid preschool before he gets to kindergarten. Many we have found of our oldest peers, when they go to kindergarten, are going to school for the first time in kindergarten. Day one, their first day of school will be kindergarten, where our son will have been in school for two years plus, our youngest for three years plus. I would love to see a prioritization of early access education. Because if you can get kids as early as preschool and into kindergarten and first and second grade, thinking school is cool, being around teachers, being in learning settings, they're going to have success at a much greater clip. It's going to be much more difficult for a young man, for a little boy or a little girl to go straight into kindergarten on day one and compete with kids that have been in preschool for three years. And as you're in school and as you have difficulty in school, because maybe you started at you started a 26.2-mile race, a marathon, two miles behind the start line compared to your competition, you're going to eventually struggle. And you're going to ask yourself, if, if, is this what's best for me, school? And you may lose interest, and that's when other things could distract you. So solution, maybe we start figuring out an equitable way for early access education for all of us in the community and not those that have disposable income. There's a solution. Why does early access education tie directly to those that can afford the tuition? You know how much it is to go to preschool for a, week, for a month where we go? I know it's expensive. It's not cheap. Dylan's rule on Twitter says, quick arrests don't deter crime. However, long sentences do deter crime. That's Dylan's rule talking Hingley and Plantania dropping heavier sentences there. More comments coming in fast and furious, faster than I can count here. This is from Deep Throat. Today's shooter is tomorrow's victim. Arresting the guy maybe saves his life, honestly. But yeah, people with low impulse control, by definition, are not doing risk calculus before, the sh before they shoot somebody who insults them. Yeah. He's talking about quick arrest, not deterring crime right there. Yeah. Matt Daring, I'm very familiar with what the students went through during COVID at Charlottesville Public Schools and at Albemarle Public Schools. 
And if you compare what this, if you say what the students did during COVID was quality school, then man, I can't disagree with you more, Matt Daring. PE during COVID at Charlottesville Public School Middle School, and I know this because the PE teacher is a good friend of mine, consisted of asking the kids to sit in front of their computer in the living room, get a tennis ball in their left hand, throw it in the air in front of the computer screen, and catch it in the, with their right hand. If you think your kids had a good school experience during the pandemic, during COVID, I cannot... This makes me question your judgment, this comment, Matt Derrick. Can't be more frank than that with you there. Um, Olivia Branch says, until we change the narrative of see something, say something, more of our children will make wrong turns. I agree with that. Snitches get stitches is what she's talking about. We need to change the narrative of see something, say something. That's what it needs to be. Hmm. I would love if this was the last show where we talked about a killing in Charlottesville or in this area. That would be nice. I would love if we utilize this show um, into talking about education and small business and entrepreneurship and elected officials. But for 2023, we are now basically through the first quarter. The main topic has been gun violence. All right, let's talk Kim's market. You rotating those lower thirds on there? Excellent, good work. Matt, I... I don't think private schools were perfect, but I do know during the pandemic that private schools were learning in person and public schools were not. And we've had Lee Elberson, the CEO of Clayboard Education on this program, talking about the value proposition of private schools during the pandemic has never been greater. This is a third party arbitrator offering perspective and analysis on public and private school education in this community. And the CEO of Claiborne Education says the value proposition of a private school and compared to a public school has never been greater right now. So please, stop. Um, Woodard Properties, in a Charlottesville Tomorrow article, says this about Kim's Market. Cherry Avenue, Fifeville, gateway to a historically black neighborhood. We hope the city, this is Woodard Properties talking here. This is their director of development. We hope the city and the community understand that at this site, a developer could build a buy-right project with 47 luxury residential units and market-rate commercial space with no affordable housing, no affordable commercial space for nonprofits, no public input, no community engagement, no grocery store, no planning commission involvement, and no approval needed from council. 
Woodard Properties is basically saying to the Planning Commission and to Charlottesville City Council, if you're not a little bit flexible with some of these zoning requirements and some of these affordable housing requirements with this Kim's Market project, we're just going to go by right. We're not going to need you to say anything to us. And we're going to build stuff for rich people in a historically poor neighborhood. Completely changing the culture, the look, the feel of this neighborhood because this is arguably the most iconic property on this street. It's certainly the gateway, the entry. This was the most strategic, unthreatening, yet threatening statement I have ever read in my life. We hope the city and the community understand that at this site, a developer could build a buy-right project with 47 luxury residential units and market-rate commercial space with no affordable housing, no affordable commercial space for nonprofits, no public input, no community engagement, no grocery store, no planning commission involvement, and no approval needed from city council. What are properties? If you do not get what you are asking for from a diminished affordable housing requirement or some zoning uh, massaging for this grocery store, then I would say you should go buy right. Charlottesville and Central Virginia should, be very, should feel very fortunate that it's Woodard developing this property who's clearly got ties to Fifeville with what he's done with the Fifeville Trail and how he's engaged the Fifeville Neighborhood Association. There are a ton of developers, many of them that I get beers with, that would not be doing this. In fact, I had a conversation last week with the developer, whose name I will not use, that said if it was my parcel that I own, I would go 100% buy right. And if we went 100% buy right, that change to Kim's Market and the gateway of Cherry Avenue and Fifeville would then trickle over to the rest of the street, changing the landscape and the character of the neighborhood. Woodard is not doing that. He's trying to get a feel for what the community wants. He's trying to do what's right. And really, it's his son, Anthony, calling a lot of the shots now. We got a local developer that's trying to do what's right for the community. I would be, sh I'd be disappointed, disappointed if local government made this project so complicated and arduous and difficult for Woodard Properties that they get flabbergasted, exasperated, and say, we're just going to go buy right. Remember, this is the same company years ago that walked away with nearly walked away from nearly two million dollars of underground infrastructure on Water Street. Woodard was going to develop that Water Street parking lot and build this beautiful oasis that was going to be the home of the farmers market. Woodard got in such a beef with city council at the time. Nakia Walker was the mayor. Such difficulty navigating the political headwinds of council at the time that Woodard's company literally walked away from nearly $2 million of underground infrastructure. There's a precedent in place of city council and city hall and city government being difficult to work with with this company, Woodard Properties. To the point where Woodard said, peace on $2 bucks 
and I ain't doing this project on Water Street anymore, and now the city market continues to be on an asphalt black parking lot top with very little quality of life to the point where Ludwig Kutner at Ix Park has realized how piss poor the city farmer, farmer's market is run, how piss poor the quality of life is there, and he's built a competing farmer's market on a grassy knoll with shade and parking at Ix Park 100 yards, 200 yards away from Water Street. Ludwig Kutner is Ludwig Kutner and Ix Park are legitimately competing with the city's farmers market. They've fractured the customer base. They've fractured the vendor base. Having two farmers markets at the exact same time within a couple hundred yards of each other. There's not a chance in HE Double Hockey Sticks the X Park Farmers Market would have gained the traction and momentum it's having right now if Keith Woodard had followed through on his project on Water Street. If we had that Water Street oasis for the Farmers Market, the momentum at X Park would have been diminished. But because Woodard walked away from nearly $2 million of underground infrastructure and scrapped that project, there's a viewer and listener running by the show listening to us on the headset. Because he walked away from it, Ludwig jumps in the game and creates a competing market. This is not a dude you want to mess with. He will do this by right. And maybe the city of Charlottesville needs to say to itself, let's give some today to get a lot more tomorrow. If Payne and Pinkston and, and, and Council, and if Stolzenberg and Sola Yates and the Planning Commission, and if Michael Rogers and City Hall start getting in the minutia and making this difficult for Woodard Properties, they will go by right. And probably their best path to profitability is by right. I doubt their best path to profitability is building a grocery store, boutique grocery store, where they're going to have to solicit a tenant, maybe encourage someone in the neighborhood to form a co-op, a 3,500 boutique grocery, 3,500 square foot boutique grocery store, and some space for nonprofits from a commercial leasing standpoint. That's not the best path to profitability. He's offering this path, this alternative path, because he cares of Charlottesville. But if you push the company too far, they're going to go luxury and they'll change the character of this neighborhood because this is a gateway point to it. You want the grocery store. I know you do. Yeah, I think it would be, uh, I think it'd be a boon to the, to the neighborhood. I think it would be great for the neighborhood. Here's the tough part. Food Lion is a mile away. Well, I, I'm not sure how that has that. No big grocery effect. store. Michael Payne said this on the dais on the on the dais the other day. The economics of this make it extremely difficult. No big time grocery store is going to want is going to first a big time grocery store is going to think about whether it wants to be that close to Food Lion. Secondly, a big time grocery store does not have a model to fit a 3,500 square foot space. I think that's a bigger consideration than the other one. Both of them are considerations, as about, Michael Payne highlighted on the dais. What about Wegmans right across the street from Food Lion? Or, uh, I would say or, Wegmans has got a completely different customer base than Food Lion. 
That's fair. A, uh, a completely different customer base than Food Lion. I'd say the Food Lion customer base on Fifth Street Extended is the customer base from Fifeville. That's the customer base. Okay. Wegmans and Food Lion, while both grocery stores, and while they both sell eggs, cheese, and bread, cold beer, cigarettes, and lottery tickets, the customer bases are completely different. Okay. And as you pointed out, 3,500 square feet, who can put that model together? Yeah. Our neighbor, the Market Street Market, can. Even Reed's Super Save Market, I think, is 10,000 plus square feet. What was Wegmans? 100,000 plus square feet? Yeah, I think it was around 120,000. 120,000. What's the smallest grocery store that we can think of here? It's probably Market Street Market, isn't it? I don't think Rebecca's Natural Foods is a grocery store. I mean, we could get into the weeds discussing what is and isn't. uh, I mean, Rebecca's Natural Foods doesn't sell... I don't even. I've never been to. Rebecca's, I've been in Rebecca's. So no That's not a grocery what it store. Like. I'd say the smallest grocery store in Char- Who? What's the smallest grocery store in Charlottesville or in Almaro County? Market Street. Oh, Deep Road said Integral Yoga is about three thousand square feet. It's a cool place to buy food. Hmm. Not the largest selection, nor the lowest prices, but it is where I do probably sixty percent of my food shopping. Deep Throat does sixty percent of his food shopping at Integral Yoga. I did not know that. I'd say the. Integral yoga might be slightly smaller than the Market Street Market. And he says there's no eggs at Integral Yoga. No eggs? Yeah. He also said, to your point, when we applied to St. Anne's as COVID started, they waved us in. But in 2021, the line was out the door to get into private schools there. This from Grayson. Jerry, to your point... Our, stu- our two kids were enrolled at Charlottesville City Schools at the beginning of COVID. We saw the curriculum that they had planned for our youngest in the second semester um, during 2020 when COVID first outbreaked. And then as soon as we saw the curriculum during that second semester, we pulled both our kids out of school. And now we have them in different private schools that fit their skill sets best. Is it more difficult for my wife and I? Absolutely. Would we do it exactly the same? Absolutely. Thank you, Grayson, for that comment. We need a grocery store there. I think the only way a grocery store is going to work there is if it's a co-op, though. Hmm. Nora Gaffney says, according to Brooks's Facebook page, he was a junior and senior during COVID. Thank you, Nora Gaffney. Nora Ali Gaffney, leaving that on the I Love Seville group. The show airs on 15 Facebook pages. Maybe, is it Woodard's responsibility to drum up interest for a food co-op at that location? I wouldn't think so. I don't think so either. 
I think he's already showing he's going to do well by the community by offering commercial space for nonprofits and trying to get clever and creative by creating a grocery store there. I think that's the extent of what he's supposed to do. And frankly speaking, he doesn't even have to do this. Right. If Woodard Properties just went by right with its development, we, we, we couldn't throw shade at them. The guy's allowed to do this. Yeah. The fact that he's considering a different path besides the easiest path to profitability shows he cares about the city. The company yeah. cares about the city. No doubt. All right, I got to ask this question. What does Ace Biscuit and Barbecue need to do differently? I have to navigate this carefully. We have intimate knowledge of what's transpired. We got a, a buyer who's tied to a very, 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 very wealthy organization locally. Essentially saving the day when it comes to this restaurant. Buying a business after, I, I want to highlight the last minute purchase here. Brian and Ace put on social media that we're closing. And this is our last day. The community response to that initial Facebook post was so significant that the initial closing date they sent, they had to move it up considerably because the community flooded Ace and basically bought them out of everything. After they moved up the date of closing and they finished that last day, Brian and his wife go to Timberwood Tap House, no, Timberwood Restaurant North, and they celebrate a chapter closed, and a buyer comes and saves the day. I love this business. I love this sandwich, especially the old dirty bastard. And I love what Brian built. But whoever takes this over, and I'll leave it to the new owner to make the announcement, they got to do something different. At least something different than Brian was doing. What would you do? <coughs> Man, um... That's a tough one. Hire a guy to sling a sign at the uh, at the corner of uh, Preston, and another guy to swing a sign around uh, the corner of um, Harris and uh, and McIntyre. Uh, get the get the traffic moving along there to uh, you know head down and check it out. Here's what I would do differently. I would up my social media game. That's something that Ace could have done much better. It's social media game. Mm-hmm. I would up my presence with catering at the University of Virginia. Hmm. I've seen firsthand Derek Bond owns Moe's on Ivy Road. Moe's on Ivy Road makes significant money 
from catering events at the University of Virginia. The type of catering that helps carry a restaurant on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays when there's no business. Yeah. <clears throat> if I was Ace, I would potentially consider a smaller square foot or footprint. Hmm. If I was Ace, I would consider additional revenue streams like bottled sauces sold at the location, although that requires a lot of permitting and approval to do. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. If I was Ace, I would consider potentially delivery around the University of Virginia and not through third-party delivery apps to take all your margin. That's probably going to be the toughest to implement. I would consider delivery to grounds, specifically fraternity and sorority row. <coughs> a lot of people don't realize this. A lot of restaurateurs don't realize this. I was, a Phi, I was a Phi Kappa Psi, the fraternity at the end of the Mad Bull on Rugby Road, the most iconic, noticeable one. We had five-figure contracts. I'm talking ten, eleven, twelve thousand dollar contracts with a couple of restaurants over the course of a school year to cater our events and to bring us food on certain days each week. The fraternities and sororities have points of contact that have to manage the food schedules for members, especially those living in the house. See if you can make contact with these people. It's difficult because they change every year. I know firsthand I was one of them. But you could potentially negotiate ten, eleven, twelve thousand dollar contracts with a couple of these fraternities and a couple of these sororities, and before you know that, you got fifty, sixty thousand dollars of incremental revenue you didn't have on the books. These are all incremental sources of revenue, ideas that will generate new money for the business. Because if you come in and if you take this business over and this brand over, we got the wrong lower third on screen, Judah. Multiple people are putting that on the feed. If you come in and you run the business the same way, aren't you going to get the same result? So in conclusion, up the social media game, Instagram and Facebook. Figure out some kind of delivery system that targets the University of Virginia students. Get on the calendars and get some FaceTime with fraternities and sororities that do the booking of businesses like ACE to feed the frats and the sorority houses each year. And lastly, and probably most importantly, become an official vendor of the University of Virginia, like competing barbecue joint Moe's has done on Ivy Road, where you can legitimately get six-figure catering contracts over the course of a year with the various departments at UVA. Those are all new concepts not being implemented right now with the business. To close the program, I want to get this out quickly. UVA's men's basketball lead assistant, Jason Williford, has reportedly turned down an opportunity to be the head basketball coach at American University. He currently is on the short list at Temple University. This is Tony Bennett's right-hand man. Now, Jason Williford has a son, two sons, that are playing sports at St. Anne's Belfield Academy literally as we speak. 
St. Anne's athletic program is fantastic. I would imagine that he's not going to leave Charlottesville and this sideline and the John Paul Jones Arena until his two boys graduate from St. Anne's. One of them is a highly touted basketball player. Let's knock on wood and hope that's the case. All right, we'll get to comments here. I got a 145 with a VIP client conference call. Um, Albert Graves, Woodard Properties just show their true colors. Imagine those top dollar residents coexisting with the current residents of Cherry. It might get very, very interesting. Vanessa Parkle said the Woodard property might be a perfect location for an Amazon Fresh. I like that idea, the Amazon Fresh. Juan Sarmiento says BBQ is always so expensive in terms of cost and price of the product. They will need to compete with other restaurants in the area and lower their prices. Also extend their hours later to include dinner. Offer dinner incentives to keep people coming back. Increase their social media game. Start a food truck. Juan Sarmiento, good comment. Lisa Costello, Charlottesville is used to strong arming developers. I like that, Lisa Costello. Um, anything you want to close with? J-Dubs? Mm, no, nothing in particular. Um, it's good to see that Ace Barbecue is going to continue. Uh, I look forward to going there again. I took my parents before they closed so that they would at least have gone there once. Now we can go back. There you go. I like it. Do they like it? Oh, yeah. yeah that was good. great. That is good. All right. Judah Woodcower, Jerry Miller, the I Love Seville Show. We did the best we could with what we had today. We'll do it again tomorrow, a Wednesday. 145 call. I'm one minute behind. So long, everybody.